a mother, a son, and a life with autism. It's the At Home with Autism podcast with Q102's Jen and Jacob. Why doesn't he look at me? Why doesn't he talk or even try to talk? Why does he just want to be left alone? Why does he keep doing the same things over and over and over again? Why does he not care if I'm in the room? Why does he walk past me like I'm just not even there? Why does he scream and yell and kick and flail for no apparent reason? Why does he have such big, huge reactions to such little things? Finally, instead of being told all of these different ways and processes and techniques to try to get him to stop doing these behaviors, to stop doing what he wanted to do and instead do what I wanted him to do, which is what everything else felt like. Instead of having that kind of approach, what I got was explanations and they made a hell of a lot of sense. Instead of looking at autism as a behavioral disorder, the Sunrise Program looked at it as a relational interactional disorder that what individuals with autism were actually struggling with was the ability to connect and interact and form relationships. And the behaviors that we would see are a symptom of that inability to relate. Merley's here in case you haven't guessed. That's his hippo. (laughs) But I loved this idea because it actually felt like something that I could help him with. Surely, I could help this little being learn how to connect with other human beings because that was my job. My job is to connect with people. I had to connect with the people who were listening to me on the radio because if I didn't connect with them, then they weren't going to listen to me. And if they didn't listen to me, then I wouldn't have any ratings. And if I don't have any ratings, well, then I don't have a job. So my entire skill set in the workplace was built around connecting with other people. And that did feel like something that came very naturally to me. You know, I never felt like I met a stranger. I'm very comfortable talking to people I don't know, and sometimes having really, really amazing conversations. So yeah, yeah, this appealed to me. So then, okay, the goal is clear. This is what I want, right? This is, I want to connect. I want to connect with my kid, which is exactly what I wanted more than anything. I mean, when I brought home my newborn child and I cradled him and he just cried inconsolably and cried and there was nothing I could do as his mother, the one person that was supposed to have the power to calm, to help that child find that peace, right? And that relaxation and that just feeling of safety of being home, right? It's what I wanted to give him more than anything. And I tried, I gave it everything I got and he didn't want me. That's what it felt like. You know, I was already scared about being a mom. I mean, for crying out loud, when I showed up at the hospital to give birth to him, they gave me the robe to put on. I go, I put on the robe, and I come walking out of the bathroom, sobbing uncontrollably, going, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. 
I mean, and I was talking about giving birth and being a mom because I didn't know what I was doing. I really, and I, you know, I felt that way. And now here I am. I have this child and he's confirming it. He's confirming the fact that I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I've got no clue and I'm failing miserably at the one job that in my belief system, every woman was hardwired to do well. Motherhood. At the time, I believe that's what we came here to do. That it should be some innate ability that all women just have. I don't necessarily believe that. Now, then I did. So having that belief and then having that experience, I knew I was just a huge fucker. I was like, this is, whoa, this is, this is not for me. So hearing from people who had had a lot of success helping parents connect with their children with autism, you know, it kind of took the heat off of me a little bit that maybe I'm not as awful of a mother as I was believing myself to be, that actually, maybe, just maybe, I was the perfect mother I needed to be for this child. Because what am I an expert at? Connecting. What does he need help with? learning how to connect. So this was perfection for me. And I was so excited to learn more. So how to connect, how to do that. They kept it really simple for me. There were four different areas that we were going to focus on. That when we focus on these things and help him with these things, then that connectedness might just show up. You know, there's never a guarantee in anything. But this was our best shot. This is what we were going to do. Hopefully focusing in on these four different pieces that will help him connect, we would form a relationship, a better one, a bolder one, one that actually felt like what I believed a mother-son relationship would feel like. So we worked on eye contact. We worked on communication, flexibility, and interactive attention span. Interactive attention span just meant how long we could keep him engaged with us in an activity. Four pieces to the relationship puzzle. But before we could really even delve into working on those four different areas, there were some things I needed to work out a little bit. Because I knew this to be true about Jacob. And I believe it to be true about, I hate to use blanket statements, but a whole lot of individuals living with autism is they have this sixth sense. They can smell out bullshit faster than anybody I know. I watch Jacob do this all the time with people. He is drawn to those who are authentic and real and genuine and kind and patient and loving. He just knows who they are. And he reacts very differently to them than to people who are being nice to him because they think they're supposed to be nice or they're in some sort of position of power over him, whether it's a a teacher or an instructor or someone in the community. He knows. He knows. He knows. And I knew I couldn't get anything by him. But I didn't necessarily know when the times were that I was being inauthentic or more likely trying to manipulate trying to get him to do the things that I wanted him to do instead of him doing the things that he wanted to do. You know, to try to pull him away from a toy he was playing with or stop him from doing any of his activities 
or trying to get him to wear something he didn't want to wear or trying to get him to stop making so much noise or to go sit in this room instead of sitting in this room or to play with this toy the way that this toy is meant to be played with or to stop picking his nose. He could tell when I wasn't comfortable with something that he was doing and that always escalated things. It never made anything better. Never made anything better when anybody tried to push him to do anything he didn't want to do. And that's why so many of the therapies that we had tried up until that point failed miserably. So my attitude is what needed to be worked on first. And as much as it sucked to go, well, huh, I'm kind of screwing it up by thinking that way about this. It was also extraordinarily empowering because these were things that I could actually control. You know, I had zero control over him. Zero. There was no way I was going to get him to stop doing the things that he wanted to do and get him to do the things that I wanted him to do. No, he was hardwired to come here and dig his heels in and be himself. He is a little nonconformist that, man, I look up to that. I wish I could be that solid in who I am that no matter what anybody else said or did, it wasn't going to stop me from doing what I wanted to do in the moment. I work toward it every day, but come on. He came in like that. But this, you know, this, I had control over my thoughts. I had control over my beliefs. I had control over my own actions. And I'm like, yes, please. Teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me. <laughs> Ask me questions. That'll get me to question my own thinking. Because my thoughts and beliefs around him and his autism were completely and totally affecting the way that I treated him, the way that I was with him, the things I said, the things I did, everything. My beliefs drove it all. And so the big questions would begin, where am I judging him? Where am I not accepting him? And in what moments am I not loving him? Because here's the thing. If I'm angry with him in that moment, I'm not loving him. In that moment. Yes, I love him. Of course I love him. But in that moment when I'm angry, I'm not loving him. I'm judging him and I'm not accepting him. So what am I judging about what he's doing? And sometimes it was such silly little stuff. And it's so funny because everything I went through with him, looking at these judgments and my belief systems... I watch other parents and I see them doing these things like an easy one, playing with the toy in a way it wasn't intended to be played with. You know, Jacob had building blocks and instead of taking the building blocks and building things with the building blocks, he would grab them one at a time and run to the other end of the room where the child safety gate was up and throw them over the gate. <laughs> one at a time, right? That was how he wanted to play with the blocks. But no, that's not how the blocks are meant to play with, Jacob. Don't throw your blocks over the gate. Come on, bud. Let's get your blocks. Sit here with me and let's build something because these are building blocks. And what do you do with building blocks? You build things. You don't throw them. You throw balls. Right? It's like, yeah, I had to question that. I'm like, why not throw building blocks? You can throw, but you do whatever the hell you want to do with building blocks. As long as you're not setting them on fire and burning the house down, you know, or, or swallowing them or shoving them up your nose or causing anybody any harm at all, do whatever you want to with the building blocks. And that's a very simple, basic example. So I started watching myself with him every single day and going, oh, wow, there's a, there's a judgment. Wow, there's me thinking that's not right or he should do that differently. Anything was should. Anything was should. 
had a lot of shoulds. He shouldn't behave that way. He shouldn't act like that. He shouldn't fight me when I pick him up. He should let other people hug him. He should say hi. He should say thank you. He should stop pacing around in the backyard. He should be going down the slide. He shouldn't play with the hose for two hours and wet down the entire deck. He shouldn't just keep unplugging and plugging in the inflatable slide in the backyard. I mean, the shoulds were, they were everywhere. So I started taking a really good long look at the shoulds. And it was really funny because I would question, you know, is that, is that true? Should he really do that? Does that really matter? And I can't think of any times outside of protecting anyone's safety or destruction of property. I can't think of any times that any of those shoulds were true. And along with those shoulds, oh, the acceptance piece. That kind of goes along with the judgments. Yeah, I had to accept the fact that he's not going to play with toys the way that he's supposed to. And they were going to be building blocks flying all over the house. And instead of reading his books that he was going to take markers and write letters all over the insides of the books. And except that he didn't like being picked up. He didn't like being hugged. Except that he didn't like to go to Coles, except to be put down in the aisle and left to go run full speed ahead. (laughs) I had to accept that's just who he was. And then I had to love it. I had to love it. I had to look at it with wonder and inspired curiosity. Like, why? Why? Why does he love that so much? What is it about doing that makes it so fun for him? What is it about jumping up and down on that trampoline for hours on end brings him so much joy? Because when I was able to sit back and stop interfering and stop trying to decide which things he did were acceptable and which were not acceptable and which ones I needed to change and which ones I needed to stop. When I was able to just sit back, watch it all with wonder and love him. And just want to be a part of whatever the world was that he was living in. Because when I was able to step back and stop interfering, he sure looked pretty stinking happy. And he was having a pretty good time. It was my interference that was causing the suffering. Oftentimes. Not all the time. Oftentimes. So then what would happen if instead of interfering, I joined him there? Then I picked up the building blocks. And ran with him and threw them over the gate. And by the time the sunrise program we did at home started, he wasn't doing that one anymore. But what he was doing is he was still jumping on the trampoline. He was bouncing on the ball. He would take markers and roll them across the table. He would just turn pages, page after page after page on a book. He would write lists over and over again. And and he would draw the same pictures over and over again. Like 17 was a number for a while. I'm not sure where that number came from. Someday, I think he's going to tell me though, but he would draw 17 purple flowers. Then he would draw 17 pigs or he would draw 17 cows. There's always 17. And sometimes he would just sit and stare into space. I would always have a really hard time with that one. Because I'd be like, come on, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you just staring? Come on, let's do this. Let's do it. No. So one of the first things I learned to do was to join him in those activities. Those ones that were exclusive and repetitive. The ones that he did all the time over and over again. The ones that I had the most curiosity about. The ones I didn't understand the most. And it wasn't just to do it to show him that he could choose whatever it was he wanted to do. And I'd do it too. It wasn't a manipulation to get him to do what I wanted to do. 
You know, it wasn't one of those tit-for-tat, I'll play your game for a while, but then we're going to have them play my game. No, it wasn't that. Because I was going into it with the attitude of, I'm going to enjoy this as much as he is. I'm going to be so present. I'm going to be so in the moment doing this activity, turning these pages in the book. One page after another page, after another page, after another page, right? Sometimes for hours on end. But I was so intent on being there with him in the moment and feeling whatever I felt and being aware of that. The joy that I could find in flipping pages, the way the light bounced off the pages, the way the words looked when I turned the page, the sound of the pages turning, the way the page would bend as it would flip over. I mean, in a lot of ways, I would imagine that's kind of the experience somebody has on psychoactive drugs, right? Right? Wow. <laughs> and no, I was never high when I was in the playroom. But um, yeah, it's like, wow. And he knew it. He would know if I was in that playroom with him and I was having an off day. Nail me every time. And he also knew when I was being 100% present in the moment with him, loving everything that we were doing and enjoying just being with him in a way that I had never been with anyone else in my life. That kind of love is rare. To love so completely without judgment, with complete and total acceptance, with total presence, with no agenda other than just being with that person in a space of pure, unconditional love. Some of the most beautiful moments of my life happened in that playroom. And that playroom changed my life. Because having that experience in there with him made me want to have that experience in the world with other people. And I will tell you this, it's a lot fucking harder out there in the world. <laughs> To love and accept and to not judge. <laughs> it was a lot easier to do it with my own child who I adored to begin with, right? But what a gift he gave me in that playroom. Just to have that experience and then to have the desire to take it out into the world. Because I can only imagine if more people had that experience... And then did take it out into the world. What a different world we would be living in. That's a whole book in itself. So having the attitude, the loving, accepting, and not judging. The being able to be present in the moment. Finding the joy. Finally experiencing that connection. Because what would happen when I would join him in turning those pages and turning those pages and turning those pages? There was a method to the madness of it all. Because for the majority of people in the autism world, what I was doing with him was insanity. Was airy-foo-foo, was crazy, was nuts, was, oh my God, have you lost your ever-loving mind? I don't get it. You know, so many people are like, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I completely understand. Believe me. I understand how you could think it sounds cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And it was the most sane thing I'd ever done in my life. 
because what I learned to do while I was turning the pages and turning the pages and turning the pages was to help him with eye contact and communication and flexibility and interactive attention span. Those four pieces that would help him connect and form relationships, which in turn would ease or stop all of the behaviors that the vast majority of people use to define the diagnosis of autism. This is the belief system under which we operated. And this belief system of loving, accepting, and not judging had to happen outside of the playroom too. It got a little bit harder when we were in the world versus, you know, locked in a a room with no distractions. There were no TVs, no battery-operated toys. Everything was up on shelves. So anything that he wanted to play with, he would have to ask for in some way, shape, or form either by just looking at it or reaching for it or anything that sounded like a sound. I mean, I could talk to you for days on end about everything that happened in that playroom. And I'm going to tell stories. I I don't want this to be a sales pitch for this program because it's not. It is such an individual decision as to what is best for you and your child. This was just a perfect fit for us. And it took me a really, really long time to get to the place where I was okay with other parents not doing this program (laughs) because it seemed so perfect to me. It made so much sense to me that I just couldn't imagine how it wouldn't make sense to everybody else. I mean, I remember when I came home after my first week, I bought all of these materials uh, to share with all of my friends. I had like 10 other moms over to the house and I'm like, watch this movie. We sat there and we watched this movie and I'm like, this and this and this thinking, oh my God, I'm going to round them all. I'm going to save the world. Or at least I'm going to save everybody I know from the pain that they're experiencing because of their child's autism diagnosis. Because I have found the answer. Because I have a savior complex is actually what somebody told me not that long ago. And I was like, you know what? You might be onto something there. <laughs> I wanted to help. I wanted to help so badly. And I just, God, I just wanted everybody to do this because it felt so right and so good. And it took me a really long time to not judge them for not doing it. You know, to get to to get to a point where it's like, listen, man, I understand that there isn't one fit or one fix for everybody. And I understand that what we're able to do, other people might not be able to do. What we want to do, other people may not want to do that. And as hard as it is sometimes to watch People suffer. I always remind myself they're on their own journey, as we all are. And, oh, I wish them well. I hope it gets easier. So, no, when I'm talking about this, I'm not trying to sell anybody anything. I'm just sharing our experience. And I'm speaking to a program that existed 14, 15 years ago. I don't know where the program stands at this point, uh, especially with COVID and everything there. So I honestly can't even speak to the current program. And I am so grateful. So many wonderful teachers we got to know. And everyone is a teacher. 
in some way, shape, or form. I mean, Jacob's this incredible teacher just by being Jacob. All I have to do is pay attention to anything that frustrates me, irritates me, annoys me, aggravates me, makes me laugh. Hmm. Look at it, question it, learn a little something about myself, then I can choose to see it differently so it doesn't frustrate, annoy, or irritate me. Most recently, my greatest teacher is my dog, Merle. <laughs> oh, finally gave him something to chew on so he put down the squeaky hippo. Pretty sure he's on the spectrum too and I need to do a sunrise program with Merle. A little one-on-one -on -one in a non-distracting environment, joining him in his world. <laughs> I suppose that's a path I could choose for the dog. <laughs> that's the thing though about paths. I spent a lot of time just blindly following paths that I thought were the right path to take. And then one day this kid shows up in my life. I couldn't get him on my path, no matter how hard I tried. So I had to open my eyes up to other paths. I realized every single path is eventually going to end in the same place, leaving this earth school, as he likes to call it, and I like to call it. And I could choose. So I looked at a lot of paths, went down a couple of them, didn't like them, ultimately picked the path of peace and love and joy and all that hippie shit. So far, so good. Thanks for listening to the At Home with Autism podcast. Next time I'll have Jacob with me. We'll see what that little stinker has to say.